Our scripture lesson today is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, no, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It includes the well-known Beatitudes. Please join me in reading these as a congregation. After I read the introduction, the right side, this one right here in front of me, will read the text in bold white letters that will appear on the screen. Then after that, the left side over there will read the text in the bold yellow letters. Then we will all read the final beatitude together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. There's an old story from India about a man who was sentenced to imprisonment all night long with a poisonous snake in the corner. As you might imagine, he spent the entire night frozen in fear that even the act of breathing might wake up that snake and cause it to lunge at him, to kill him. It was a very tenuous, sleepless night for the man. He was a bit relieved that in the morning when the first fingers of daylight started to creep through his prison window and coax its way into the cell, he could still see in the corner the shape of that snake still resting quietly in the corner. He knew he had not woken up that snake. When the full daylight came and the entire cell was illuminated, however, he was surprised to find that that snake, that poisonous snake in the corner that had been with him all night, was in fact an old rope coiled up in the corner the whole time. That old fable from India is an important story for us because it reminds us that all of us, without exception, have within the confines of our own mind those old ropes those relatively harmless thoughts and events that have occurred in our past, which in and of themselves should not cause us harm. But as our worries and our anxieties start to work on them, we take those old thoughts and those old occurrences and we transform them into perceptions of a menacing monster 
that will not let us go, causing ourselves to be imprisoned in the darkness of our own spirits. It's true that all of us have those old ropes within our lives. And perhaps there is no greater, more formidable old rope in the human condition than the cold, hard reality of death. It confronts us with that irrefutable truth that none of us can escape, that death is a part of life. It is a commonplace, ordinary truth that somehow, through our own worries and our own anxiety, we have transformed into this menacing monster that has caused our spirits to entomb us, imprison us, and to confine us. It reveals itself on days like today, when we remember all of those that have gone before us and remember the ambiguities of those relationships with people that we still mourn on this day conjures up all sorts of anxiety about our relationships with those that we love and remember on this day. It conjures up all sorts of questions like, how will I move on in my life without that loved one by my side? It elicits all sorts of ambiguities and tensions that are still lingering with those people that we remember, where we ask ourselves, why didn't I have that one conversation that I should have had with that loved one before they died? What will I do with all of these unresolved tensions that I feel? How can I seek forgiveness from that person? How will I learn to forgive them? And then there's all sorts of tensions that we feel about that person's relationship with God. As much as we celebrate our loved ones, we know they had their shortcomings and their imperfections because we all do. And deep down inside, there may be a part of us that wonders, is that person with God today? Will I be with that person someday? Because then there is the most looming, most difficult question of all, what will happen to me after I die? What do I do with the cold, hard reality of death? Oh, as it turns out, as, as dusk and darkness settle into our souls, that old rope of our own mortality begins to glare at us and hiss at us, and we find ourselves imprisoned by our own mortality. And that is why All Saints Sunday is so important. Because it's on this day that we remember that the chief symbol for the Christian is not darkness, but light. Because it is in the light of these people that we remember today that we remember that God has given us God's grace and God's love and God's glory to illuminate even the most shadowy, dark parts of our souls so that even those, those deep fears that we have about death can be illuminated by God's love to be simply old ropes, nothing to be afraid of, because we have these people who have lit the way to illuminate for us a pathway to God's glory. I love what the great spiritual writer G.K. Chesterton once wrote in his biography of St. Francis. He said that St. Francis was the mirror of Christ. 
rather as the moon is the mirror of the sun. He said the moon is much smaller than the sun, but it is also much nearer to us. And being less vivid, it is more visible. I love Chesterton's quotation because it reminds us that each of these people that we celebrate today and every person that we remember on this day can be a mirror of Christ to us, just as the moon is to the sun. Because if we were to try to ponder and consider the glory and majesty and radiance of God, we could not do it given our own finite human limitations. So instead, God has given us the saints. God has given us the stories of these people that we love to be for us as the moon is to the sun, a mere reflection of God's full glory in a way that these lives are so near to us, much smaller than the sun, but nearer to us so that we can see in them a reflection of God's light for us so that as God's light enters the darkness in the confines of our soul, we can slowly see that those old ropes and those worries and anxieties that we have, particularly about death, need not haunt us anymore. Because here's the reality. God does not want us to live as ones fearful of death. Instead, God wants us to live a blessed life. And of all the passages in the entire Bible that remind us of that fact, perhaps there is no greater one than the opening words to the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's the same passage that we read responsively just moments ago that we commonly call the Beatitudes. These nine sayings are gateways to the life of blessedness that God wants for us. And I would suggest to you that these nine sayings are also a reflection of the lives that are symbolized by these candles on the altar today, which means that as we ponder the lives of these people, we can see in them a reflection of the blessed life that can be a model for us today. Just as an example, let's start with the very first beatitude. The first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was basically saying those who look for God amid their darkened brokenness will discover God's help, and they can be a blessing for others. And when I think of this first beatitude, I think of Sue Levitt. One of these candles up here on the altar is for Sue. Though she was of ill health, requiring a double lung transplant for which she was denied because of her old age, she never stopped trying to grow in her relationship with Jesus. And that commitment to Christ fueled in her, even during her latter years, a keen desire to make a difference in the lives of others for the kingdom of heaven. She helped with hospice, quantum leap farms, helped disabled children and veterans, 
And even when she moved down the street to the Allegro Senior Living Community, she took on a leadership role to make a difference in the lives of fellow residents, organizing social gatherings, brightening their day. And then when it came to this church, she was aggressive about inviting people into Hyde Park United Methodist. I would say that there was probably no greater evangelist in this church over the last six months of her life than Sue Levitt, inviting so many people into the fellowship of this congregation. Sue Levitt's illness could have made her poor in spirit, but the beatitude is right. Sue gained the kingdom of heaven and helped others do the same. Here's another beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Some translations say blessed are the humble. And Jesus was basically saying that if you want to live a blessed life, then live humbly, even when you feel powerless against the sufferings of this world, because you can still discover, even in the midst of your suffering, greater blessings than are in the entire earth. And when I think of a humble and meek and tender person, I think of Evan McCrone. We lost a few children in our congregation this year, among whom was 13-year-old Evan, a beautiful child, a, a Boy Scout in this church who was diagnosed with cancer, and he had one wish to go to Disneyland in California before he died. It was second only to his chief desire, which was to grow closer to God and find security and dependence in his Lord. And so Justin LaRosa spent time with him over a series of weeks to teach him silence and centering prayer to help his faith grow stronger and his conviction in Jesus to deepen. Evan never made it to Disneyland dying shortly after they arrived in California, just miles away from the theme park. But he did still experience God's profound sense of love for him and God's grace embodied by the ongoing love of his family and friends, and Evan's light still shines among us. The beatitude is right. Evan McCrone was meek, a humble, tender young man, and he inherited a blessing greater than this world. Jesus also says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And Jesus is very clear that if you want to live a blessed life, then you have to fight for equality and justice in a world that is filled with such inequality and injustice. And when you seek to provide a more just social order in a world that seems so broken, you will be filled. And when I think of that beatitude of someone who fought for justice and righteousness and who was filled so that others can be filled, I think of Bonnie Corral. Bonnie was an advocate for justice in this world. She saw the inequities of a racially segregated era and did everything she could to push for equality starting within her own community. She then became 
a self-generating dynamo to improve the lives of others all around the Tampa Bay community. She was involved with the Junior League, a local children's theater, the United Methodist Children's Home, and the Salvation Army, where she was awarded a humanitarian award for all that she had done to improve this community. And then, of course, there was this church, this beloved church. I said at her funeral that I can't think of a single mission or program area in this church that does not have in some way Bonnie Corral's fingerprints etched on it. Today would be a special day for Bonnie with the 1033 alternative Christmas market and Christmas right around the corner and all of the things that we are doing here in worship and in children's ministry. Bonnie, as I said, was a self-generating dynamo whose hunger and thirst for righteousness was never matched by her desire for attention. This beatitude is right. If you seek justice and righteousness in this world, you will be blessed. And Bonnie was. Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Which means we give thanks for every person in our lives who reorients their priorities in order to meet the needs of others with care and compassion. And when I think of that beatitude, I think of Joe Merritt. Earlier in his life, Joe was involved in retail. He was a buyer for Bell's department store. But during that career, he decided that he wanted to make a bigger difference than just selling clothing. The breaking point for Joe came when he was in that Bell's department store overhearing a heated argument between two retail clerks who were trying to decide what shade of pink to put on the mannequin, and he decided he'd had enough. So he walked out of that department store never to return, deciding instead to make a difference in the lives of children as a pediatric physician's assistant. And that's how he spent the rest of his life, trying to make a difference in the physical well-being of kids. He had a passion and a belief that every child deserved the best possible health care, particularly those who were born prematurely. This beatitude is right. Blessed are people like Joe who were merciful because he became a vessel for mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A pure heart is something that all of us need to have, a a heart that is not filled with trickery or deceit or lies, but instead a heart that is pure, that's full of integrity and wisdom and love. And when I think of that beatitude, I think of Stan Swanson. He was a faithful physical education teacher here in this community, in the elementary school, here in an elementary school here in Tampa. And during that time, it honed his belief that every single child deserved the best possible education to set them on a course for the best possible future. And that passion and that commitment eventually led him to this church, which only strengthened his commitment to Jesus, deepened his devotion to God, and clarified his commitment to the children and youth of this community. It was at his memorial service that we made the request, that he made the request, that any money that was donated in his memory was to go 
to our youth and children to fund mission trips for them to make God's love real in countries like Costa Rica. He had a pure heart. This beatitude is right. Because of Him, others have been able to see God. The last beatitude says, those blessed are those who suffer and are persecuted and face adversity in the name of God. And I can think of so many people who are represented on this altar and so many other people that we remember on this day who faced their adversity and made it through with strength and conviction and devotion to God. I think of Joanne Guayardo, who was a bright light in our community and whose illness did not deter her love for God or her commitment to this church. I think of Rob Valachinas, whose fight with cancer may have taken him from us at too young of an age, but whose endearing love for his family and his friends still transcends his death to this day. I think of Chuck Casper, who persevered in his illness up until the very end because of his faith in Jesus. Every single person on this altar every single candle, every single name is for us what the moon is to the sun, a reflection of the fullness of God's radiant glory and God's love for us so that as we look at them, we can see the Beatitudes come to life and God's love come to light so that even in the imprisonment of our worry and anxiety, even as we face the mortality that is sure to come, our lives can be brightened and we can see death for the old rope that it really is. That's the invitation of Jesus today. That's what these Beatitudes are all about. It's to remind us that we do not have to live as ones fearful of death. We can live instead as ones who are blessed in this life and in the life to come. Because here's the reality. This, this is the inescapable truth, that there will be a day someday. There will be an All Saints Sunday some year where your name and mine will be counted among the candles. Your name will be read, a bell will be rung, people will stand in memory of you. And what Jesus is telling us is that we are to live today to be the full embodiment of these beatitudes so that when that day comes, and our loved ones stand in our memory, they will be able to see in us a mirror of Christ. That they'll be able to remark on your life and mine that because of our lives, we were able to reflect for them the fullness of God's glory that could remind them as we are reminded today, we do not need to live in fear of death. Because God has called us to live blessedness in this life. As we prepare for Holy Communion today, and as we draw this sermon to a close, I can't think of a better way to end this time than with the joint 
recitation of a prayer that I discovered just a few weeks ago. When I was in Northern Ireland, I discovered this Celtic prayer written by a man named John O'Donohue, who wrote one of my new favorite books called Anamkara, Spiritual Wisdom from the Celtic World. I'll draw your attention to the screen as I invite us to share these words together as we offer them as a blessing for each other and receive it as a blessing for ourselves as we pray these words. It is called a blessing for death. Let us pray. I pray that you will have the blessing of being consoled and sure about your own death. May you know in your soul that there is no need to be afraid. When your time comes, may you be given every blessing and shelter that you need. May there be a beautiful welcome for you in the home that you are going to. You are not going somewhere strange. You are going back to the home that you never left. May you have a wonderful urgency to live your life to the full. May you live compassionately and creatively and transfigure everything that is negative with you and about you. When you come to die, may it be after a long life. May you be peaceful and happy and in the presence of those who really care for you. May your going be sheltered and your welcome assured. And let all God's people say, Amen.